Hi, so when I was in Pennsylvania, I looked at the Bible in the book of Colossians, which is where we were at before uh, we went to our Unshakable series, before I felt like we needed to pause Colossians and kind of talk about the issues that were going on in our world today. And so we started Unshakable. And uh, I just want to say real quickly, too, I want to thank uh, Dr. Jacob Noel, who preached on the 14th, and then uh, Pastor Dom, who preached on the 21st. They did an amazing, both of them did an amazing job. We're so, we're so blessed to have people that can step in and preach God's word with passion. And so I am so grateful for that. When I was listening to Dom preach, we were climb, climbing up the, driving up the mountains, and it kept glitching, and so I had to finally just shut it off, and I watched it later, and they both did a, a, a wonderful job. So, but, but before, we, uh, uh, before we go back to Colossians, I felt like it would be good for us to do one more message in the Unshakable series. And so, so far in, in the series Unshakable, we've, we've had five weeks. We've had a message on unshakable joy, unshakable faith, unshakable hope, unshakable love, and unshakable fellowship, which is what Pastor Dom preached on. So this morning, we're going to talk about the unshakable church. And I've titled the message, The Gates of Hell Will Not Prevail. And so we're going to talk about the fact that as a church, we are unshakable. And you know, the core, if you, the, the core of all the messages in the Unshakable series, really, it's very simple. Our, our joy is unshakable, our faith, hope, love, and fellowship is unshakable. Why? Because of Christ. Because it's all founded on Christ. And so I'm kind of giving away what my message is about. It's about Jesus again. And so yeah, if I've got to preach about Jesus, I'll, you know, I'll do it again. But it's about Christ. That's the foundation of everything that we do. And so this is what we're going to talk about. But before we get into the text, we're going to look at Matthew 16, a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, and they asked him a very powerful question. He asked him really two questions. One question was, who do men say that I am? He says, put your pulse on the culture around us. What what are they saying about me? And so they started speculating amongst themselves, and then Jesus says, wait, 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 I got another question for you. Who do you? say that I am. And he honed in on what they believed about him. So that's the text we're going to look at. But before we get into that text, I have to ask you a question. Do you believe what you believe? That maybe sounds kind of like a mystical question. Do you believe what you believe? I guess a better way to say it is, do you, do you believe what you say you believe? You know, because we say we believe a lot of things, don't we? We say that we believe that the word of God is true. We say that we believe that Jesus is the only way. John 14, no man comes into the Father except through Christ. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We say we believe those things. We say we believe that there's a real heaven and a a real hell. We say that we believe things are true from God's word. But do we really believe what we say that we believe? Because it's easy to, to say that we believe certain things, but when we're under pressure... What we really believe is the way that we live. And I think that's really true for anybody. No matter who you are, where you come from, you can say, hey, I love my wife or I love my husband. I love my spouse. But what do you really do? What you really do is what you really believe, is what you really, who you really are, is how you, how you live. So do we believe what we believe? Do we live what we believe? You know, what happens is, is that in times like we're in today in our world, What we believe gets tested. I believe this is a test of our time for us as Christians. It's another one of the tests of our times. That we are under pressure today. Are you under pressure? Do you feel the pressure in the world we live in today? From all kind of fronts, we feel pressure. And so because of pressure, then what we believe is tested. 
Jesus asked the disciples a question. What do you believe about me? Do you believe? What do you believe about me? What does the world say? And then now what do you say? So that's the same question we must ask ourselves. Do we believe what we say that we believe? What happens is in, in, in moments like we're in today, they can be likened to a washing machine. You guys have a washing machine? Do you wash your clothes? Hope so. Let me come smell you for a second. I'll, I'll let you know if you wash your clothes. But what happens when you want to go wash your clothes? You take your clothes and you put them in the washing machine and you put the detergent in and you press the start button and it starts to wash. It gets all the germs out. It scrubs it out. And then after it's through the wash cycle, the clothes is soaking wet, is it not? And, you know, one, one day I was trying to, uh, try to wash some clothes and for some reason uh, the spin cycle didn't happen. And I went and opened the clothes to go put it in the dryer and they were soaking wet. And you know what happened? My two or five-year-old, they love to play with the washing machine. They get a stool, and they climb up, and they press all the buttons. So apparently, they stop the spin cycle. But what happens is, is that the spin cycle, what does it do? It spins around really fast, and it wrings out the clothes to where they're dry, or at least dry enough to put in the dryer to, to finish the drying process. And when I thought about the world we live in today and the pressure that we live in today, that's what it's like. If you would imagine that faith is like, the, is like a wet, piece of clothes. It's like a wet shirt. It's that water that is soaking wet is, is like a picture of faith. We're full of faith. And whenever we're thrown into the spin cycle of the world and the pressure of this world is placed on us, it's trying to wring out our faith. Do you get that? Isn't that what it feels like from time to time and especially now? So what happens is, is that we are placed into positions where we have to ask the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. What do you believe? Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you really believe what you say he is? Or is the pressure of the world ringing out our faith? You know, we say so much about God. We say that God is is good. We say that God is faithful. We say that nothing is impossible with God. But place, place a little pressure on us. What happens? We start doubting. You start getting fearful. We start being overcome with worry and anxiety. Do we believe what we believe? You know, if you believe the world, you listen to the world, this is what they may say. They may say that, you know, this is what happens, is that science becomes God. Science has the last say, right? That's the, that's the, that's the message of the culture right now. Look, I'm not downplaying any of the science. I'm not downplaying what they're saying, but this is what, this is, if we're not careful, we'll be herded into that corner. Science is God. They have the last say. The experts... They have the last say. They're like gods. The experts. All the experts. And then the talking heads who are listening to the scientists and the experts, they, they push their own narrative and what they want to say. So you got the scientists and the experts, and talking heads, and they're all trying to be God in our life. You know, last I checked, God is God. Last I checked, God's on the throne, not a scientist. God is the first scientist, if you want to really know the truth of it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And this human race has survived a lot more than COVID-19. I'll tell you that right now. God is God, not man. God has the final word and the final say. Do we believe what we say we believe? Again, you can read between the lines, whatever you want to try to say I'm saying. I'm just saying what I'm saying. God's God. And he's in control. He's still on the throne. And we can trust him, can we? And last I checked, people are still struggling to figure out life on their own. 
Look around. They're still trying to figure it out. They're moving around these pieces and these pieces and they're moving around this thing and that thing and trying to figure out where can I find peace? Where can I find joy? Where can I find a place of no fear? They're looking, they're searching. That's the picture of the world. God's in control. He's in charge. And the world, apart from Christ, is scrambling for answers. And Jesus asked men who are following him, what do you say about me? What does the world say? But what do you say? Let's go to the text. Let's learn some things from Matthew 16 about this unshakable church. If you don't mind, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 16. This is out of honor for God's word. I like to say this because this is true, that when we read the Bible, that's God speaking to us. This is God's word to us. Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we thank you for your word here today. Thank you for what it's powerful to do in our lives. God, I pray that you would help those that are here today to hear to receive and to apply in their life. And I pray that you would help me to open my mouth to preach the word and to exalt Christ. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, unshakable. This unshakable church, what is it founded on? Well, we see it in this text here. It's founded on Christ. That is the foundation of an unshakable church. But what do we learn from this conversation that Jesus is having with these men that have been following him? They've left all to follow him. What do we learn? He asked him two important questions. Two questions that are being asked still today. Well, the first thing that we learn, it's very obvious here, that faith in Christ, the first thing is that faith in Christ is a personal declaration. Faith in Christ is a personal declaration. Look at what he says. He asked them, he says, what's the speculation around about the area? What, what are people saying about me? And then you notice the text said, they said. So what does that look like? It looks like they're kind of bouncing things around. Hey, hey, Clyde, you know, I, some people are saying this. And hey, 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 Estelle, some people are saying that. And you're talking back to me. We're dialoguing. But then Jesus says, okay, I've heard the speculation. What do you say? Faith in Christ is a personal declaration. And look, it's okay. Everybody's going to have their opinion about Christ. That's fine. Everyone can say what they want to say about Christ. The biggest question of your life and my life is what do I say about Christ. What do I believe about Christ? Not my neighbor, not my mama, not my daddy, not my coworker, not anybody. It's not what they say. They're going to say what they say. That what Jesus is saying here then and he's saying now is what do you say? Faith in Christ is not something you inherit. Did you know that? We think that we can pass on our faith. And I know what we say when we say we want to pass on our faith. We want to pass on uh, to our kids a a, a, a reverence for God. We want to pass on to our kids the faith that we have, but it's not something that, that we can actually, I can't take my personal faith and make my kids believe in Jesus for them. They have to make their own decision to follow Christ, just like we all have to make our own decision. Faith in Christ is a personal decision and declaration. We all have to make that 
decision. You can't inherit it. You know, some of you, when your loved ones die, you're going to inherit something. Maybe you'll inherit a boat. Maybe you'll inherit a house or some money from a bank account. They can, you can inherit those things, but you can't inherit faith. Just because you go to the same church your parents went to. Just because you, 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 you got baptized in the way your parents wanted you to get baptized. Just because you attend church or you serve or you give faithfully and generously. Just because you're a good person. None of these things produce faith. Those things are a reflection of faith whenever we do attend church, when we hang around other believers in Christ, whenever we give faithfully, generously, whenever we do all those things. But that's not what makes faith. It is a personal decision you have to have in your life. Faith in Christ is a personal declaration. Just like, do you remember in John 4, we talked about the Samaritan woman in John 4 a few weeks back. Jesus has a conversation with the Samaritan woman. And he begins to try, to, he's, he's trying to get to her heart. Isn't that what Jesus always does? He tries to get to the heart of the people he's talking to. He's after their heart. So he's talking to her and he tells her, gets her to the point where he says, look, I've got living water that if you came and got living water, You'll never thirst again. You'll never have to come back to this well. And she says, hey, give me some of that water. I want it. He says, okay, go get your husband. And then she starts squirming a little bit. She's like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't have a husband. And he, she, he said, well, you're right in saying you don't have a husband. You've had five. You've been divorced five times. And now you're living with man number six. And she's like, wait a minute. How do you know me? I perceive you're a prophet. Then she says, okay, we're going to start talking about God now. Since you're a prophet, we're going to get religious. And she, she starts saying, she says, well, hey, our fathers said to worship on this mountain. What do you say? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you how it works here. The day is coming when those who worship will worship in spirit and truth. And, he, and he, he ultimately gets to the point where he looks at the woman and says, woman? He didn't say it quite like this, but basically, I don't care what your father said. Believe me believe me and that's the point he's making with his disciples in matthew 16 that's what he's making with the samaritan woman in john 4 woman believe me believe me faith in christ is a personal decision and why is it a personal decision you'd say well well, why can't we inherit faith why can't i give my faith to my kids why can't I just pass it on and, and they'll and they'll be saved and they'll go to heaven and it just this it's this covenant thing that we transition through why can't it be like that it's because of what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that all of us one day will stand before God. And we will have to give an account for our life personally. You know, this is a test of what we believe. Do we believe what we believe? Rome, uh, Revelation 20, listen to this. It's a strong section of Scripture. But listen to what Scripture says. This is why it's a personal declaration. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. When you go further in Revelation 20, it says that all of those whose names are not found in the book of life are cast into the lake of fire. This is why it's a personal decision. Because I'm not going to stand with my mama or my dad 
or my coworker or my friend at the great white throne judgment, at the, at the judgment seat of Christ for the believer. I'm not going to stand. If, if I'm not a believer, I'm not going to stand before the great white throne judgment with somebody next to me and say, hey, well, well they're going to testify about me and say that I'm a pretty good person. He, you know, he didn't cheat on his taxes or his wife, and he was a really good worker, and he did a really good job in his life. I'm not going to stand with them. I'm going to stand by myself. So if you're here today, this is the question of your life. This is the question of your time. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the question you must answer. The same question that Jesus asked the men that left all to follow him. Think of that. They left all to follow him. They left their careers. They left all to follow Jesus. And he's asking them, what do they believe about him? That's like me looking at you, who I know the majority of you are Christians, and saying, what do you believe? Do you really believe? Think of that. So that's the question. You can, you can be here at church every Sunday and not be a Christian. You can be here at church and give your money and attend and not even be a Christian. It's all about what you really believe. Have you really confessed Christ? And that's the question of our time. And so if you're here today and you've not confessed Christ, I implore you, confess Christ as Lord. He is the only way for salvation. He is the only way for salvation in eternity. And he's the only way for peace in this life. Now, if you're struggling for peace and you're grappling for peace in this world today and you can't find it anywhere, you can't find it in the news, you can't find it from your neighbor, you can't find it from anywhere. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is, not only is your answer for eternity, but he's your answer for now. You can have peace in the middle of this storm. You can have peace in whatever you're going through, in the middle of cancer, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of being laid off. You can have a peace that the world can't steal from you. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that here today? That's a good shouting point right there. I've been, I've, I've, I've been preaching good, but y'all are quiet. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe, maybe y'all just, you know, it's two weeks I haven't preached. Y'all trying to check me out, see if I've lost my edge. Who do men say that I am? There will always be speculation. But what is your declaration? 2 Corinthians 6 says this. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God is here. What's the grace of God? Getting what you don't deserve, which is salvation. We all deserve death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The grace of God is that because of faith in Christ, we can be saved and not judged. Don't receive the grace of God in vain when you hear about it. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day. Now is the day of salvation. So you may ask the question, well, what, 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 what do I have to do? Christ asked them their declaration. Well, you just have to make the same declaration that Peter made. Peter stood up and made the right declaration. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And in Romans 10, we know what the declaration is. So if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ, this is your declaration. Romans 10. What does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes. It's with the heart that one believes. 
not inherited. It's with your heart and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. That's the same declaration Peter made right there. That's where Peter got saved, I believe, right there. Peter got born again right there. You remember, you remember I was thinking about this while I was studying. I think Peter got saved right there, Matthew 16. Because if you go right before Jesus goes to the cross, before he's arrested, he has a conversation with Peter. What did he tell Peter? He said, Satan's coming. He's going to sift you like wheat. He said, but I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. He was in the faith. He got saved right there. Why? Because he made the confession that we all must make if we're going to be born again, that Jesus is the Christ, that he was raised from the dead. And and you know what happened to Peter, right? His faith didn't fail. He persevered. He endured. The Lord was with him. And he stood up in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost and preached the gospel. And 3,000 people got saved. So this is the first thing that we learn, that faith in Christ is a personal declaration. Now, what's the second thing that we see through this conversation that Jesus is having with these men that are following him? Second thing we see is that faith in Christ is the foundation of what builds the church. So faith in Christ is a personal decision that motivates a declaration that you believe in Christ. And then this faith in Christ is declaring that we have all made, if you're a believer here today, it is the foundation of of what builds the church. Look at what it says back in the text. It says, Simon Peter replied, I'll tell you who you are. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you for flesh and blood's not revealed this, but my father, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter got it right, did he? He got it right. Did Peter always get it right? We're a lot like Peter. We don't always get it right. There's times where we declare the right things or sometimes we don't say the right things. You remember whenever Jesus told the disciples, I got to go suffer and I got to die? What did Peter say? Oh, no, Lord. No, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You can't die. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. He didn't get it right there. He wasn't minding the things of God. He only thought about earthly things. But right here, he got it right. He declared that Jesus is the Christ. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh, the son of the living God. He got it right. This is the revelation. What Peter said is the revelation that Christ builds his church on. This is the center of the church. The center of every true church is faith in Christ. That's the center of every true church. It is faith in Jesus Christ. This has always been the center and it always will be. People are not the center of the church. If I had a pen and your heads were like bubbles, I'd hate to burst your bubble here today. Church is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. If I had a bubble, I'd burst my own bubble. It's not about me. It's not about people. People are not the center of the church. Programs are not the center of the church. Everyone wants to, we want programs. We got to have programs. What does your church do? I I need a program. I, I need a good program. Programs are not the center of the church. Do we need programs? Yes. We need to disciple people. We need people to have fellowship. Those are all good. But it's not the center of the church. You can have people and programs. And Christ could be somewhere in the corner. Or maybe not even in the building. But you got great people and great programs. Christ is the center. Personalities are not the center. So often you will see where a personality will become the center of a church. God forbid that will ever happen in churches where a man or a woman becomes the center of what the church is all about. Passionate causes are not the center of the church. You can have a passionate cause that you run after as a body of believers or as an individual Christian, but Jesus can have nothing to do with it. 
Jesus is the center of the church. Christ is the center. Look at Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being what? The cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Christ is the foundation. He's the cornerstone, not people, not programs, not personalities and passionate causes. It's Christ. It's always been Christ. This is not complicated. I'm not preaching a very complicated message. This is simple. This is grade school. This is Miss Joe Best's pre-K class. It's pre-K. Christ is the center. You know what the problem is, is that we forget what we learned in pre-K. We forget what we learned in grade school of our faith. And we, we, we think that, well, you know, if we just get the atmosphere just right and we just get all the programs right, we get everything so attractive, the world's finally going to come. No, Christ is the center. It's always been about the gospel. It will always be about the gospel. Look what the Lord told Peter to illustrate it for him a little further. He says this. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So I got a way to illustrate what Jesus was telling Peter. So when Jesus told Peter his name, you think Peter forgot his name? You think Jesus needed to say, hey, by the way, you're Peter. Clearly, Peter knew his name. Jesus is making a point. He says, you are Peter. The word Peter, the name Peter, is translated from the word Petros, which means small stone. So I have a small stone here, and you really can't see it good because it's that small. But it's kind of like, like this. Did you hear that? Peter, this is what you're like. You're just a small stone. That's who you are. Isn't that great? Thanks, Lord. Thanks for the encouragement here today. And he says, but on this rock, he uses a different word. It's not the word petros, which means small stone. On this rock, he used the word petra, which means foundation boulder. So this is Peter, and this is the revelation that Peter had. This is Peter, but this is the revelation, the rock that Peter had, which is Jesus is the Christ the son of the, of the living God. Jesus said, Peter, I'm not building my church on a bunch of little pebbles. I'm going to build my church on a bunch of little pebbles who point to the foundation boulder who is Christ. This is the revelation I'm building my church on. This is what it's all about. It's about Christ. Christ is the foundation of the church. Always has been, always will be. 1 Corinthians 3, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which is laid. The foundation is already laid. And what's the foundation? Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus as a Christ is the foundation that his church is built upon. We are little stones, little pebbles that are founded upon faith in the chief cornerstone which is Christ. You know what gets us off track, though, is that spin cycle. You remember that, that, that spin cycle? We get, sometimes we get a little bit of our body stuck into the spin cycle. We got half of our body over here uh, focusing on the Lord. We, we, get, we get our mind over here, and we're in the spin cycle, and our face getting wrung out. It's called drift. You guys ever drifted off, off center? You guys ever gone? You, you're setting out for a, tra- a trajectory in your life, and you begin to drift. You ever drifted? 
It's kind of like this. This is what it's like in, in our life when we get caught up into the spin cycle of the world that wants to wring out our faith. It's like if I told you that well, I wanted to draw a perfectly straight line from the front of this pulpit to the sign by the road. I want to have a straight line. Well, this is what we would try to do. You know, we'd come out, we'd come out here and I'd say, okay, I want a straight line. And I'd start doing this. I'd go like this, I'm going to get a straight line. But what, what, what would happen from the time I started here? I don't even know what the measurement is. What would happen by the time I got to that pulpit? I mean, to that sign. And, and, I, and I marked my line. As, as Someone behind me marked my line. The, the line would, would look like this. It would look like this. And isn't that what happens in our lives so often? We just, we get off, we drift here, and, and, and we get so overwhelmed, and we got to be reminded, hey, little pebble, hey, little pebble, come back to the foundation stone. Come back to Christ. Don't get caught in the spin cycle of the world. It's trying to wring out your faith. Hey, little pebble, don't forget. It's about Christ. And the only way, and I'm not an engineer, got some engineers in the room, the only way that you would be able to draw a straight line from the, this pulpit to the street sign is if you had a fixed point of reference that was a guide for you every step of the way and you returned to that fixed point of reference. That's the only way that you would draw that straight line. And this is the fixed point of reference. It's Christ. You have to return to Christ. So whenever you're struggling to figure out what the answer is, you know, to whatever issue it is, what's the answer to the issue of, of racism? It's Christ. It's the gospel. What's the answer to the issue of people rioting and destroying property? It's Christ. It's the gospel. What's the answer to poverty? It's Christ. It's the gospel. What's the answer to, to any, anything in our society that you can think of? What's the answer to COVID-19? It's Christ. It's the gospel. That's the fixed point of reference. Jesus changes it all. Faith in Christ is the foundation that builds the church, that builds our life. It builds our life. You know what's great about this section here? Even these things we've covered have been great because they're pointing us to the reality that, that faith in Christ is the center of everything. But you know what's great about God's word is that God's word is full of promises. Don't you love the promises of God? Just like we read in Psalm 34 after worship, that those who fear the Lord will not be moved, they'll be radiant. Isn't that a great promise? There's a promise in Matthew 16. You guys know the promise? It's the title of my message. What's the promise? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's the third thing we learn from this conversation with Jesus and these men that have been following him. That's the promise. If we, will, if we will maintain that fixed point of reference and continue to return to the boulder stone, which is the foundation stone, which is Christ, then we will not get off track. We won't be sucked into the spin cycle of the world that wants to wring out our faith and fill us with doubt and fear. We will stay on that trajectory that is straight because we have an anchor point. Amen? I'm so concerned for our our world today. I'm so concerned for the church today. I'm so concerned for you. We're in a battle. You're in a battle. We are in a battle. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and high places. And we have the sword of the word of God. We have the shield of faith. We have the armor of God, as it says in Ephesians 6. And we must stay spiritually sharp during these times. If not, the spin cycle of the world will ring out your faith. And you'll just be an ineffective Christian in this life. That can't make any impact wherever we go. We must return to the fixed point of what's most important. 
And because of that, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God's church truly is unshakable. Think about what Jesus says here. He says, I will build my church. I will build it. I don't have to try to build a church. Isn't that, man, that is, such, that is a relief. That's pressure off my shoulders. I ain't got to try to build a church, Dom. I thank God that he's the one who builds the church. It's not me. I ain't got to try to be cute and funny and put on a show here. Because if that's what I got to do, I'm going to hang it up and go do something else with my life. I just got to keep pointing to this. If I point to this, the church will be built. You know, there are, there are many paradigms for churches here today in our world. There are church planting organizations. There are organizations in the world today that they've reduced church, the planting of a church, the starting of a church down to a business plan. I've, I've studied them. I've seen them. It's basically, it's a mark, you, you come up with a market strategy, you go to an area, you put your finger in the wind, you look at the pulse, the pulse of the area, you get a market plan, a market strategy, you blanket the, 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 the community with information about your church, you, you come up to a, a launch date, and you build a church. You start, it, it's, it's a, you start the church. You open doors for business. It's, it, it's, it's really, it's not a market strategy. It's not a business plan. You, you don't build a church. Christ builds a church. And the only way a church is built is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not through a market strategy. There's only one market strategy. Do you want to know the only strategy that works to build a church? It's Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? It means that the glory of God is the perfect standard of his holiness and his righteousness. And me and you, we've all fallen short. So what does that mean? It means this. Everyone needs the gospel. Every community, every person, every age. I ain't got to put my finger in the wind and get the pulse of the culture. No, I just go and point to the foundation stone. Why? Everyone needs the gospel. Every community, every person, every age, every socioeconomic class. I could add every race. God's market strategy is for us to preach Christ to everyone. To everyone. And watch the good news of the gospel change people's life. It's not more complicated than that. And those who will adopt that plan will be the church that the enemy will not prevail against. It's not more complicated. Oh, how, how we make it complicated. We make it about us. We make it about our plans, our felt needs. It really, is a, it really is a simple equation. Simple equation of how Christ builds his church. Are you ready for it? All, all you math people, you ready for the equations? Here it is. One message of good news has the power to completely transform us from the inside out. That's it. You almost, you, you almost, who was about to clap? That was good. First service, they, 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 they did nothing. Again, I just think y'all are just, I don't know, slowing the uptake. Wait, wait, let's just try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. One message of good news. This is good news. You don't have to die and go to hell. You can go to heaven. Amen? One message of good news has the power to completely transform us from the inside out. It's not man-made religion that tries to change you from the outside in. It's from the inside out. Man-made religion will try to tell you that you've got to prop yourself up and, and make yourself uh, uh, in a certain way to appeal to God. 
You're going to climb up the ladder of good works to get to God. Christianity says, no, no one's good. No one's righteous. No, not one. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's one message of the depravity of humanity and the grace of God that comes together in salvation. That's the message. And it has the power not to just cause you to live in a moral way. It has the power to change the very core of your heart. And it is that message that Christ builds his church on. Nothing else. And it is that message that this world needs. And this is the bow on the Unshakable series that I wanted to put on uh, for us. That that's why we can stand as individuals. And that's why we can stand as a church. Because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gates of hell. What does it mean, the gates of hell? It means death. That's what it literally means. It means death. The gates of hell. Death itself will not stop the church. Dom talked about it last week. The persecuted church. Think about the beginning of the church. How many people have died for the faith? That's so far removed from our thinking. We don't even know what that's like. That didn't even stop the church throughout all the history of the church for over 2,000 years. Why? Because here's, what's hap- here's what happens when persecution comes to the church. When we're persecuted really for our faith. What happens is, is that, that those who aren't truly Christians, they fall away. The church gets purified. And whoever is a real Christian, they rise to the surface and the church gets built. And that's why it has endured for centuries after century after century. The gates of hell will not prevail. The promise of our Lord is that not even death or hell can stop the church of Jesus Christ. No matter how dark or discouraging it looks, I want to encourage you here today. Don't let, the, don't let what you see in the spin cycle of the world, don't let it discourage you here today. It's going to be okay. COVID's not going to be here all the time. And, and if it is, we'll be okay even still. We're going to be okay. Because we are connected to this anchor stone, this, this boulder. May we be filled with faith. May our... May our heart be filled with faith that's not been wrung out by the world. May we be filled with faith as we remember the victory he's won for us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren. I love how Paul talks to those he's writing to. My beloved brethren. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like Paul says it. My beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labors are not in vain in the Lord. Amen? Amen.